my name's Rowan. Uh, well, I'm senior pastor here, and if you've come in the last two months, you won't have even met me, um, so I'd love to meet you afterwards. Uh, Sarah and I have been on long service leave, and, and our kids as well, who are all here tonight, so you see them around, um, where we had a great break. It was a fantastic time uh, for our family to hang out together. Um, we spent some time in a camper van, which was fun, but we also spent um, about half our time away, about four and a half weeks in Queenstown, learning to ski and snowboard, which was fantastic fun and really hard. <laughs> um, I, I grew up on a farm, and so the idea of any, standing on anything that you've got to balance with two feet is just like I never surfed, I never had a skateboard because there was no concrete to use it on, and so I was like, I'm, I'm going to learn to snowboard because I'd heard that snowboarding is uh, way better than skiing. It's, it's the real snow sport. Um, apparently, apparently, skiing is really easy to learn but hard to master, whereas snowboarding, it's, it's hard at the start, but then once you've got it, like, you are a master, I'm like, that, that's for me. <laughs> so I figured, like, we had four and a bit weeks, uh, maybe a little bit more, five for, to learn, so I thought I'd give snowboarding a go. But here's the thing, and it's got a link to tonight's talk. See, because learning to snowboard came with a warning, People said snowboarding is one of the best ways to significantly hurt yourself. Now, I'm 40 now, and I know that, that my bones don't heal the way they used to, my muscles don't heal the way they used to, so I thought, I need to heed this warning and actually think carefully about how I can maintain my kind of health. And so people had said that the most common thing that happens you know, is you break your wrists, or you get a concussion and wind yourself, and then you're in big trouble. So I bought some gloves that had, um, that had guards in them. So I thought, if I fall, because, you know, I probably wouldn't fall, if I fall, then I'll be okay. Well, did I fall? Um, I spent lots of time going, why can't I breathe? Because I was winded and caught a back edge. And uh, at one point, I hit my hand so hard on the ground that I had to wear my thumb in my finger of the glove the rest of the time we were there. Because when I had it out, if I put my hand down, it just hurt with lots of pain. And now I still wake up sometimes in the morning when it's a bit cold. I go, oh, my thumb still hurts. But I'm sure God will help that get better. See, snowboarding came with lots of warnings. And as we get to this part of God's Word we're going to see that we need to hear some warnings tonight as well. Some warnings as we approach it that are really, really important to understand. This section tonight and next week's section of the Bible really are some of the most dangerous slopes of the Bible. They're like the black runs, if you want to keep the skiing analogy going. Uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this of next week's passage, a wonderful text this is, and a more obscure passage perhaps than any other in the New Testament, so that I do not know for certainty what Peter means. We're in for a great night, and next week as well, so come back, there's, there's plenty to look at. But as we approach this part of the Bible, we do need to approach it with warnings that will help us to be able to understand it well and keep us safe as we apply God's Word. So let me give you four warnings, there's four points there to, to follow through on these. Number one, as Peter focuses on how to live as husbands and wives, the warning is that you could think, because you're single, this is not for you. I can switch off, sit back, go into cruise mode, that is not the case. Marriage and family is the basic building block of society. That's what our society is built around. And we all need to know how God um, instituted marriage and what He says about it so we can understand society. We ought to know how to act as men and women within marriage, whether we're married or not. And how we might encourage um, husbands and wives, even if we're not married. Or we might be thinking through, well, if I do get married, what am I in for? What is this going to look like? There's some helpful points tonight for that as well. Or for some people, it might be reflecting back on a marriage that's ended. 
and going, hey, what did I do here? How did I contribute? What do I need to say sorry for? As we come to this passage, although it might seem like it's just for husbands and wives, it's incredibly relevant for all of us. Second warning, we need to recognise that we all come to this topic of marriage with our own quota of baggage. We've all got our own background, past hurts and wounds and desires and unthinkable acts that have been done to us or that we have done to others. None of us come to God's Word tonight with a clean slate. So much of our identity, we're told, in the world around us is tied up in our gender and how we look and what we do and our status as a person, whether we're single or married or divorced or broken up. We need to appreciate tonight that God's ideal has been distorted by every one of us and we ourselves have distorted His ideal. So, we need to recognise we're coming into a world that won't necessarily see things the way that God does. Thirdly, we need to know that this is not all the Bible says on marriage. What Peter says to us tonight is not everything, don't see this as the only thing God's Word says. It's just a portion of what He says on marriage. But what He does say is God's Word to us. And so, we need to listen to it, because it's good. Because He's the one who invented marriage. He's the one who invented us. So, we need to listen to Him. And that brings me to my fourth and final warning, which is a little bit bigger than the others. So, there are times that we come to the Bible and we read what it says and we go, yes, that just makes sense. You know, do not murder. You're like, yeah, got that. I can see how that's helpful. The Bible lines up with the culture's kind of view of things. And you're like, yeah, that, that makes sense. It fits with our view of the world and largely culture's view of the world. And you're like, yes, the Bible's great, isn't it? And you share that with your friends. See, the Bible says what we thought. You know, justice is important. But then there are times like this week... <laughs> where for many of us, we will personally disagree with what God's Word says. The culture that we've come from, the family, the encouragements of our schooling system, what we believe, are usually 180 degrees against what God is saying in this passage, and it's confronting. Wives are told to submit to their husbands. Wives are called the weaker partner. Whoa! You know? And then husbands are warned that if they don't listen to God in how they treat their wives, He won't listen to them. There's some strong words that happen here in God's Word. And the question for us to think through before we delve in is, what do you do when you come to a part of the Bible you don't agree with? Something that God says that doesn't seem to fit your view of the world or goes against the culture's view? I mean, it's easy to kind of think that the Bible is, is full of primitive and Un, unsophisticated and unenlightened thinking. So, so, how do you respond? Well, I think there are three ways we can respond. One, uh, we can change it. It's a great way to respond, right? If I don't like what the Bible says, let's just kind of update it. I mean, the world around us, technology is moving on, people are becoming what? We, we think we're more moral. And you can start to think, maybe I just need to make the Bible a bit more relevant. You know, bring it in line with culture. I'll be doing God a favour. He's so glad He's got me to kind of update His Word to be helpful for others. But here's the thing. Culture should never critique the Bible. But the Bible should always critique our culture. See, our role is not to make the Bible relevant, but to show the relevance of the Bible. And our model for that is Jesus. So he didn't try and fit in. He recognized the culture that he was in and certain cultural norms that were there and he understood them, but he didn't always follow them. He kept saying that his kingdom, his culture was another kingdom, another world, that he didn't belong here and now there, that there was a new kingdom that was coming in and the culture that he adhered to with his, was his father's. 
It was set by his father. And you see it in Jesus' attitude to women, which was incredibly countercultural at that time. He didn't treat women as inferior as the culture in the first century did, but as equals. We see it through his attitude to submission, where he sees submitting not as something that's weak and powerless, but as something that is really considering with equality with God was something that he didn't seek after, but was happy to submit himself to his father. He made himself nothing. He actually saw that submission was powerful. When we come across parts of the Bible we disagree with, one option is to kind of change it and update it. And we've got to go, no, we can't do that. Because this is God's word to us. Second option, we could cancel it. Just ignore it. You know, uh, God said us, but look, in all honesty, I just think he was wrong. So I'm not going to read that part of the Bible. I'm just going to move it out. I'm going to collect all the bits of the Bible that I think match with what I reckon. And I'm going to live those. I think that's great. God's good. I'm going to do that. I'm going to ignore the other ones. Now you might have come here tonight checking out Christianity and who God is. And you might not even be sure if God exists. And we're so glad that you're here. So glad you come to check out what Jesus is and who, who He is and what He's done. But we Christians don't believe that the Bible is true because of some naive hope, or maybe it might be true, or because we think it aligns with our view of the world. Now, we're convinced historically that what the Bible is, is an account of a life, particularly the New Testament, of Jesus, His life, death, and resurrection. And that by seeing what the Bible says, we're hearing what Jesus said. We're hearing God to us and what He passed on to the disciples and how they uh, then explained that to the early church, and we have access to that. The Bible is God speaking to us. What would the point be of God speaking if He had nothing new to add, nothing to critique? He just said everything that we already agreed with, like, yeah, thanks God got that, thanks God got that. No, He's speaking into our world to show us, really, His view of the world. If it's God's Word, then to think, I know better, or I sit over it, is to say, I know better than God. That's just blatant arrogance, isn't it? It's literally thinking that we know better than the one who made the world. So before you judge if the Bible is right or wrong in what it says, you need to work out, do you think it's God's Word? Do you think this is God speaking to us? And if it is, then we need to do what I think is the third way and best way when we come to passages like this. And you need to contend with it. You need to contend with the Scriptures. Wrestle with the Word of God to make sure we understand what it's saying and bounce it off others. We need to... They come to God's Word with a massive dose of humility. See, the problem with the Bible might not be the Bible. It might be me and the way I view the world because of it. It's a good place to start as we start considering the God who, who, who made the world and made us, that probably His view of the world is going to be better than mine. So it's a good way to go, hey, is there any possibility that I'm missing something here? Rather than just going, oh, this is dumb, I'm writing it off. Can't have said that. And we also need to recognize that when my feelings and desires don't line up with what God says in His Word, I need to be deeply suspicious of my own heart. The, the prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17 verse 9, these words, The heart is more deceitful than anything else, and incurable. Who can understand it? Right? The advice, listen to your heart, is stupid. Don't listen to your heart. 
Our hearts are dumb. They call us to do all sorts of stupid things. In the heat of the moment, we're like, I feel impassioned and desiring to do this thing. I'm going to stand in front of the car and stop it. And you get hit by the car. You're like, you're an idiot. Like, why would you do that? Our hearts drive us to do dumb things all the time. They take us off track, not in line with God's will, but with our own. And without the Spirit of God, our hearts are hell-bent on serving ourselves. Not the God who made us and the God who loves us. We need to listen to the Word of God and let God's Word shape our hearts and lives. So as we come to God's Word tonight, as we think through what Peter is going to say, why don't we come to Him and ask Him to shape our view of the world? Ask His Spirit to speak through His Word to help us understand who He is and how to live there. Why don't you join me? Let's pray together. Father God, as we come to Your Word tonight, we ask that You would convict us by Your Spirit. You'd show us the places that we think we know better than you. And we would hear your life-giving view of the world and trust you in it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Peter begins this part in chapter 3 like this. 3 verse 1. In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Now, the first thing to note is that this command is to wives. It's not to women generally. It's wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Women, this is not saying you need to submit to every man in the world. Thank God for that, right? It's not saying that. Just to your husband. It says, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Now, there's a plural on husbands there. That's not a directive to have multiple husbands. That's wives, multiple, submit to your own husbands, multiple. Like, one husband is definitely enough. Uh, The Bible holds out, zero or one, they're your choices, right? No, No more than that. But there are others that we're called to submit to, aren't there? We saw some of those last week, if you've been with us going through um, 1 Peter together, as James showed us, that we're to submit to the rulers and authorities, to our earthly masters and bosses. And we see in other parts of Scripture, we're, we're to submit to the leaders and elders of our church. But nowhere in Scripture is there a call for women generally to just submit to men because they're a man. It is not there. All of us need to hear that, particularly men. I don't want to hear guys going around, you should submit to me because I'm a man and you're a woman. That's ridiculous, that's repulsive to God and not what God's Word says. It's to women to submit yourselves to your own husbands. The second thing here to note is the command is for the wives to submit themselves to their own husbands. It does not say, husbands, make your wives submit to you. Nowhere does it say that. I want to be perfectly clear tonight as we form our view of biblical marriage, as we think about how relationships between a husband and a wife should be, it is never the role of the husband to say to the wife, I'm the man, you are the woman, you will submit to me. Never. It's not a trump card to demand what you want or to demand some pleasure or sex or to get your way. It's the role of the wife to willingly submit herself to her husband. She's free to do that. She's called to do that. That's very, very different. It's very different to the relationship between a parent and a child as well. See, parents are commanded to instruct and direct their children in a way that husbands are never called to do with their wives. Now, part of the reason that we naturally cringe when we hear that word, wives, submit yourselves, that submit word, the reason we naturally cringe is because of the abuses of men who've 
taken advantage of their strength or their position and treated women like doormats or second-class citizens whose value and worth is inferior to that of a man's. That's wrong. That's not the Bible's view at all. And so, as, as a culture, we see submission as an idea that's weak and powerless and kind of a dirty word. We don't value submission. No one grows up saying, I want you to you grow up being a great submissive person. We don't hear that in the world around us. We hear, be assertive. Seek out what you want. You know, you, you want to be that person that won't take rubbish from anyone, don't you? And we hear that. The person who says, I won't take rubbish from anyone, we're like, yeah, look at them. They're a leader. They're a virtuous person. Yeah. How often do we say, you go, girl. You go. You, you fight for your own girl. Woo! And we're saying, assert yourself. We hear it all the time. You never hear anyone, you, you go and submit, girl. Oh, that just feels weird, doesn't it? Because if I submit to someone else, because it makes me an inferior person, because the value and worth in this world is, is really in asserting yourself, isn't it? And if you submit, you're letting the team down. I want to put it to you tonight that perhaps we've got the tables the wrong way around on assertion and submission. Perhaps submission really is the most powerful position. And assertion is full of insecurity and weakness. See, we submit all the time. At the start of the service, after we sung, Marcus asked us to sit down. And all of us submitted. I looked around. Everyone sat down. I didn't see one person going, I want to see his credentials. Why should I submit to him? Why should I sit down? My guess is none of you went, oh, I can't believe it. He thinks he's so much better than me because he asked us to sit down. I'm not sitting down. I'm equally valuable. In fact, I'm going to stand up. Did anyone think that? Any show of hands? Great, that's what I was hoping, right? We, we don't think through that. We don't work that way. We, we sung some songs at the start of church, uh, you know, led by Emma. And, and you know what? We all sung together. We didn't go, oh, I can't believe Emma is asserting her authority over me. I'm not going to sing in, tune, in time with her. I'm going to sing in a different key. <laughs> Let's try that. No, to make society work, we actually are required to be able to submit And there's something great about that to say, I'm going to let you lead here. And there's a great song and tune that works out of that. When the the doctor prescribes medication to help our ailments, by taking that medication, we're not saying that we're inferior. We don't lose any of our value by doing that. We make a choice and we, we, we get the benefits, or if they're wrong, the problems that come with it. The person that kind of sits there in church when, when, when the person says, Let, let's stand, and he says, I'm not going to stand. And it's just immature and childish. The person is like, oh, I'm not going to sing because this is not my type of song. Well, unless you've got a conscience issue around um, the words, that, why would you not encourage others if it's just not your type? It just feels weak, doesn't it? Not assertive. Oh, watch this, I'm going to stand with my arms crossed and not sing because you know, I like hymns rather than th- these new modern things. <laughs> I don't know if that's you, Maybe. The young man who refuses to listen to the police. The old man who refuses to take the doctor's direction. Assertion is not a strength. But we live in a world that is so intent on saying that value is found in asserting yourself. Strut your stuff. The world is your oyster. Get what you need, what you want. That's what it's about. Let me ask you, how's that world going? How is that world going? It's full of hostility and friction. Different groups of people saying, no, this is what matters. This is how we fix this thing. This is what we do. And they're like, rah, at one another. And I won't step down and you won't do this. 
actually just listened to one another and submitted to what that person was saying for a while and respected them. I wonder how our world would be different. It's interesting that the most powerful person who has ever walked on this planet, the one who, through whom and for whom and by whom all things were created, the one who sustains the universe right now, submits himself to his Father's will. Not my will, but yours, he said. I won't stand on what I really want here. I will go to the cross. I will lay my life down for the good of others. And that's the glory of God. That's what what we celebrate, that that Jesus would die on the cross for us. Do we go, what a weak leader? (laughs) No. There is great strength and power, isn't it? To lay down his life for others. It got me thinking, you know, we, we celebrate those war heroes that went to war and died for us. Anzac Day, we, we celebrate those, right? Who, who represented our, our country and died for our freedom and sacrificed their lives. Yet we teach our kids, oh, don't sacrifice for anyone. When you grow up, you've got to seek what you want. It doesn't make, it doesn't, it's incongruous. How can you go, yes, seek your own, but then celebrate someone who, what a stupid person to go to another country and fight for our freedom and die. What an idiot. Should have stayed home and watched more TV. Well, the wife here in 1 Peter is called to submit to her husband because she wants to affect her husband in this instance. Have a look at the second half of verse 1. Submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the word, they might be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure and reverent lives. See, women throughout the Scriptures have had incredible power. The strongest man in the Bible, Solomon, Samson, right? The wisest man in the Bible, Solomon, and one of the godliest men in the Bible, David, all of them were compromised by women. Now, I'm not blaming the women there. It's their own stupid fault for doing dumb stuff. But I want you to note, women have incredible power. The wife has power either to tear down or to build up. The power you can have in the home can be incredibly destructive or phenomenally helpful. In this situation in 1 Peter, the husband here doesn't trust in Jesus, but, but the wife does. And the wife's desire is not to get her demands met. It's not to see life in the way that she will get everything she desires, but it's to win her husband to Jesus. There's something greater going on here than her satisfaction and her getting everything. It's, it's to see others trust in Jesus, to see people spending an eternity with God, appropriately loving and serving Him for His good. See, so often we get caught in this way of thinking that the world is about me, that it owes me something, and I've got to get the most out of life for my sake. Friends, but we exist not to serve ourselves, but to point people to the God who made us. That is why we are here, to show the world around what an amazing God He is, to live His way, and that's going to be different than the way of the world around us. There is something bigger in marriage than self-satisfaction. Can you see that? Marriage is not about what can I get, but about how may I serve my God? How may I live lovingly with my spouse to sacrificially serve them so that on the last day they might be standing firm in Jesus? Trusting Jesus is at the heart of every biblical marriage. Ephesians 5 says that's what marriage is actually about. It's about Christ's love for the church, and it's a symbol of God's love for the church. It's supposed to be standing out, Christian marriage and the world around us, going, why do these people commit to one another so long? 
Why do they do that? Why do they just give up on this relationship and go find someone else? I'll tell you why. Because God doesn't give up on us. Because Christ has died for us. And despite our ugliness, despite the way we turn our backs on Him, He died in our place and has offered us life. And marriage is supposed to be a symbol of Christ's love for the church. Do you notice that verse 1 starts with the words, in the same way? Women are to submit to their own husbands in the same way as what went before. And what went before? Well, Peter was telling us about how Jesus submitted himself to suffering so we could be saved. That's the model of of 1 Peter 2.21. Have a look at it. For you were called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. I want you to picture for a moment the faithful wife who even despite her husband's failings does what's right by him. I want picture she's not weak but strong. She doesn't pull back on her words. She uses them to encourage and, and build up and lovingly and respectfully call out things but stand alongside him. She's faithful. She's not nagging or just going off with others. She's clear-minded on her goal and purpose. That is attractive to the world around us. And to the husband who might not yet see, why are you doing this? Why do you treat me so well? Because she's living for someone else. And her desire is that he might meet that someone else, Jesus. Do you see how important here for God our eternal destinies are? We place so much emphasis on who will I marry? I've got to get the right person. I want to get the most out of marriage. Here, God is saying what matters is eternity. This life but a blink of an eye. John Piper wrote a book on marriage, and he's committed to marriage being for life. Do you know what he called the book? This Momentary Marriage. Life is so short. Marriage is for a short amount of time, and so don't put all your eggs in the marriage basket. Don't think that's going to save you or make your life better in some way. You, you ought to serve one another as two sinful, broken human beings for the glory of God. It is not about me or you. It's not about getting the most out of life. It's about serving our King and seeing things affected that will last forever rather than marriage, which ends at our death. Our eternal destinies are vital. And what God is showing us here is that the way we think about marriage and the way we think about how we act in this world needs to be affected by the reality of eternity. If life was just here and now, then we'd say, no, get as much out of marriage as you can. If if it's not working, change and find someone else that it works well with. But God says, no, Jesus rose from the dead. There is life after death. And so that's how we shape our world, living about what lasts forever. That's going to look weird to the world around us. I mean, why would someone not get all the fullness of the satisfaction they could? Why would they stay with that same person when they could get someone possibly better and bring more joy and be more aligned with, with their values? And the world looks at us and goes, maybe they're living for something else. We speak and say, because I want to serve my king. I want to see people recognize how great God is. So Peter continues to the wives in another countercultural way, um, reminding them of what really matters is what lasts. Look at verse 3. Wives, don't let your beauty consist of outward things, like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. The key to working out what matters in life is to ask what will perish and what won't. 
The key to working out what matters in life is to ask what will perish and what won't. God's word here to wives and by extension to all of us is don't concern yourself with outward appearances that will perish and fade and sag and fade away, but invest your life in that which lasts. Wives, if if your husband doesn't trust Jesus, do everything you can to win him, not by nagging him, but by submitting to him and expressing a a gentle and quiet spirit, living a godly life. Now, Now, Peter's not saying, wives, you need to be introverts who never say anything. That's not the picture at all. He's saying, just don't be nags. This is one place in the Bible that is saying, actually, sometimes you've got to stop talking so incessantly about Jesus. Not very often does the Bible say that, because we want to keep pointing people to Jesus. But there might be a point within a marriage where you're saying, you've got to come to Jesus, you've got to come to church, you've got to do this, and just keep saying it and saying it and saying it. But he's saying, at this point, shut up and let your actions actually show that you're living for someone else. He's saying, wives, respect your husbands. Be strong, powerful and secure in the way that you submit to Him, not because He's worthy of submission, and we're not, but because she trusts the Heavenly Father. She obeys Him. She's not fearing Him. There's no fear in that. She's fearing her God and trusting her God. Now, if your husband, if you have a husband who does trust Jesus, this is still applicable. It's not giving you permission. Great. My husband trusts Jesus. Awesome. Don't have to submit to him anymore, and I can nag him all I like. That'll be awesome. No, that's not what's happening here. You want to look like Jesus on the mall, don't you? As he'll recognize, wow, you're acting in a way that is so appropriate and loving. I feel so supported by you. I want to work alongside you. I thank God for who you are because he knows and loves Jesus. I want to encourage those of you who are husbands here and those of you who will be husbands. Make sure you encourage your wife. Not just, um, you know, oh, you submitted really well to me today. Don't do that. Ugh, just uh, keep it up. (laughs) But encourage them in saying, thanks for serving a schmuck like me. Thanks that even when I fail, you still respect me. And and thanks for bringing up the stuff you do and helping us to work together as a team. Thanks for looking out for us as a family and for encouraging me to lead. I'm so thankful that you don't treat me as I deserve, but as Jesus commands. Thank you. Encourage your wives. Wives, as you think about serving your husband, God tells you to be beautiful. Be beautiful. But it's not what you first think that means. Have a look at verse 3. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things. See, sometimes we're tempted to think that God doesn't care about what we look like. Some people are like, no, he's just about all of this stuff. He doesn't care about beauty. God doesn't worry about all that sort of stuff. He's just about the spiritual realm. But it's not true. Right? Beauty is of great worth in God's sight. Peter tells us that. He wants us to look beautiful for our husbands and for him. But beauty is not found in outward appearance. Look at verse 4. But rather what is inside the heart. We've got our kind of our litmus test on what is beautiful wrong. Beauty comes from within and is of great value to God. God's saying, pursue beauty with all your energy that it might come from within and you being like Christ. See, a character that is like Christ, displaying the fruit of God's Spirit, of of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, right? That is gorgeous to God. God says that is beautiful. 
but like kids at Christmas who get infatuated with the box rather than the precious present inside, we spend so much of our time and energy focused on what we look like, focused on the outside. Ladies, God here is saying this specifically to you, I take it, because it's a specific kind of um, area you're tempted to kind of fall in. He's saying, don't think about beauty as, as merely on the outside, but really what comes from within. Let me ask, how long do you spend thinking about what you wear each day? Looking at your hair in the mirror, looking at the, trying to think through what is the perfect outfit, or, or watching on YouTube videos to how to dress to the latest fashion, how to curl your hair that special way, or what injectables you can get, or how to put on makeup so it looks like you're not wearing any, but you really are and you look amazing. You know, and we see those come up on YouTube and, and you follow them and you watch them. How long do you spend investing in those external appearances? Now let me ask you, how much time do you spend each day thinking about your character and asking God to shape you that day to be loving and wise and respectful and praying that God would shape you to be more like Jesus day by day, that you would respect and submit to your husbands if you have one, that you would love those around you, that your beauty would not be shaped by the, by the world, but by the Word and by the Spirit of God, not by the culture of the world around us. And it's, Nothing wrong with caring about how you look. We need to, you know, don't just go all mangy and just chuck everything out and never shower and be like, whoa, this is not loving, okay? We need to care about how we look, but that's just the wrapping. And it's going to perish. It won't last forever. But your character, if you trust in Jesus, is imperishable. It will last forever and it will have an effect that goes beyond the grave. Winning that husband to Christ, encouraging that friend to keep submitting to God's word, that is of great worth in God's sight. Now it's true, God made all of us look the way that we do. You know what? You look exactly the way God wants you to look. And that's how He's made you. I look the same. But this external appearance is just the wrapping. What's beautiful, what's eternal, what's of great worth in God's sight is what is inside the heart. So that's where we ought to spend our time. That's what impresses God. And that's what will win your husband to Christ. We need to be countercultural here. We need to not compare ourselves with how others look all the time, but we need to start praising each other's true beauty. You know, one of the ways that we can do that is the way that we talk um, to children. So often you see a kid and you're like, oh, that kid is so cute, right? I'm like, oh, aren't their eyes gorgeous? And they're good things. That's just the wrapping. Imagine saying, oh, the way that you gave your soccer ball to that friend, that was beautiful. You're just such a beautiful kid. Thank you. Oh, the, the, the way that you were patient today and, and put up with my frustration and were kind to me, that, oh, that was gorgeous. Let's win back God's view of beauty. Let's not give in to the world around us to say that, oh, that outward appearance of our bodies, that's what we ought to seek. But to see that happen. And I think the way that we dress, we need to think through, am I dressing to, to match with the culture around me or am I dressing to be um, respectful? Am I, am I dressing in the world around to kind of stand out? I, I feel it when I go shopping with our girls. I've done it occasionally. And we try to find shorts that aren't underwear. It's really hard to find. That's, that's part of the culture. And you've got to think, man... And you know what? When we encourage our kids to go, no, we're actually, that's too short. You can't wear that. And then their friends are kind of like, why? I want our kids to be strong and countercultural. Their friends might say to them, oh, you're a weirdo. You're a stranger. You're an alien. <laughs> but isn't that exactly what Peter says we are? 
We're to live in the world around us as different, serving, not letting culture set the norm, but God's Word set the norm. So as a church, as a community, let's, let's win back what true beauty is and point people to what God values heavily and encourage one another in that. And I think, guys, there's a word for you there as well. As you potentially look for a wife or encourage your wife or think through those things, don't just view what is on the outside. It's not going to last very long. <laughs> view what is imperishable as gold and value that. Well, as Peter tells us that for wives, that they need to think through the way that they appear and what is beautiful, he gives us a model of what that is to look like. And the model is Sarah, not my wife, but Abraham's wife, right? (laughs) But specifically the way she treats him. There's this moment in Genesis 18 where um, God says to Abraham, basically, I'm going to give you children, and Sarah's like super old, 90 plus, and she kind of laughs, and she says, are you really going to give me and my Lord a child? Now, at that moment, she's kind of doubting God's promise in this way. She's not perfect, but she treats her husband with respect. She calls him Lord. And Peter's saying, that's a model of respectfulness that's happening. Now, I don't want to see husbands in church going, say wives, or either way, um, going around saying, oh, my Lord, darling. That's not what it's talking about. That's just weird. Do not do that. But recognize her trust in God that she did, even though it was faulting and she went through a number of ways to try and achieve it that were outside of God's plans. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Sarah trusted God's promise and respected her husband. That's what Peter is saying. She wasn't perfect. And that gives us hope. We're not going to be able to do this perfectly. Husbands are definitely not going to lead well. There's issues there and we're going to get to us in a second. But there's hope here that we can come trusting that Jesus died for us, that we won't do it perfectly. But as God calls wives to submit themselves to their own husbands, He's calling wives to trust Him, to entrust themselves to Him. That doesn't mean it'll always be rosy. There'll be abuses by men, abuses in marriage, abuses outside of marriages. They're, they're, they're far too common. And I need to say tonight that if there's anyone here who is in some sort of abusive relationship, that you need to speak out now. Don't stay in it. Come and talk to, to me or to Sarah or to a connect group leader or a leader or someone who's invited you along. Come and chat to us after the service. Do not stay in that relationship. You need to be separated for, for a time to be able to work through those things and and repent, and and don't be ashamed of going, oh, I can't believe this happened to me, I can't tell anyone. Newsflash, I'm a sinner, so are you. In terms of the way we treat God, we're all despicable. We all need Jesus' forgiveness. Don't stand and go, oh, that's really, really bad, I can't tell anyone. Come and work through it, sort it out. Satan's biggest victory is when he says, oh, you can't say anything. No, come and chat. We want to walk alongside you, we want to love you, we want to care for you, whether that's presently what's going on or what's happened in the past, please Speak to someone about it. Well, after spending six verses talking about how wives are to treat their husbands, Peter now turns one verse's attention to husbands. Now, it's not much. You're like, how come the husbands get off so lightly? Well, read Ephesians 5. We've got the hard call there. So it's kind of swapped around a little. Um, Husbands have got to die for their wives there, lay their lives down for them. You're like, whew, okay. But here, while wives are to win their husbands to Jesus by their submission and character, husbands are to honour their wives. Now, wives, I want you to notice straight away how God has your back. He cares. 
Look at this, 1 Peter 3 verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honour as co-heirs of the grace of life. Now note again, it starts in the same way. In the same way that Jesus submitted himself to die on the cross for us, same way that wife is called to lay down her life, um, sorry, not lay, to, to submit to a husband, so husbands are called to sacrificially work hard to understand their wives and honour them. Now, I've got to say, I've been married to Sarah for 20 years. I still don't understand her. Uh, apparently, she tells me I never will because women are far more complicated than I can understand, and I probably agree with that. But, but there's a point where we need to keep working hard at it. The first thing that stands out as you read that is that one line, as the weaker partner. And my guess is we all go, what? How dare you say that? How dare you say that? We're not weak. Now, I want to agree with you in some ways. I've been at the birth of five children, four of my own and one of a friend's, which is a different story that I'd rather not remember. But <laughs> talk to me about it later. But I've been there. Women are not weak. There's no way in the world I could push that thing out. Like that is crazy, crazy strong. So there's a sense where I go, man, there's a great, um, even physically, there's a great strength that God has given to women. But there is a difference physically as well. Right? That's a reason why we have men's events and women's events in the Olympics. Because there's a difference to the way our bodies are physi physiologically made. And there's a sense where guys are generally stronger. And so there's a sense where we need to look after women, particularly the wife, and, and not let the abuses of men kind of overpower her. But I think there's more going on than just physical strength here. I think... It's more talking about putting yourself in a position of submission to the husband as a leader. You're entrusting yourself to him. That requires respect and trust and sacrifice. And what Peter is saying to the husbands is, don't you dare take advantage of that. Don't you dare. Don't twist your leadership of her for your own benefit. And then we get this great line that husbands are to honour their wives as co-heirs of the grace of life. And here's where you get what is culturally accepted today that actually wasn't back then. It's one of the places you see feminism and Christianity agreeing with one another, that men and women are equal. We have different roles, yes. We are different. Thank God for that. Imagine if the world was all men, right? It would stink a lot more. That's, that's just one thing. <laughs> Imagine if it was all women, right? And it just, it, God made us different, and that is good, and we want to celebrate that and thank Him for that. But we are equal. We both inherit eternal life. We both get to be called children of God and call God our Father and stand side by side. There is no difference in value or worth between a man and a woman. So husbands and guys, there are absolutely no grounds to ever claim you are superior. It's just not true. In fact, you're commanded to honour your wives, to lift them up, to be considerate and understanding. So often, guys, we, we can be like steam trains. We kind of see something and we just like, just go straight forward. And everyone else in their wake just kind of disappears to the side. And, you know, you can forget in a marriage that there's a wife here, that there's alongside you that you need to think about. But nah, you're just like, what wife? You know, they say it takes between seven and ten years for a married couple to start thinking about, naturally, that there's someone else within the marriage they need to think about. When you, when you make decisions and you're like, oh, I've just not got to think about myself, I've got to think about someone else. Seven to ten years. Like we're 20 years in and I still struggle. I'm still like, man, there's more than just me. I've got to think about how this affects Sarah and then my kids. And It's hard. So husbands, you need to think and actively pray for your wives. 
pray for yourselves to be understanding and considerate. One great question is, is to ask, if you're married, to ask your wife, do you feel honored by me? How could I honor you more? How could I, how could I grow in my understanding of you? Where do you feel misunderstood? And ask that question. Lead. Stand up and be a man. Don't sit back and be like, oh, just wait until she says something. I don't want to bring it up. It might be hard. No, ask. All of it takes work and practice and intentional thought. So if you are married or, or you're engaged to be married, come along to, to our marriage seminar. We're putting on in two weeks. It's on the 21st of August. We put it on to help um, marriages go well. And even if you learn one thing, it'd be a great thing to come along to, to be understanding how to have the skills to work out how to relate well. Well, Peter's command to husband comes with one warning. We started tonight with four warnings about this passage. Peter ends us tonight with a warning to husbands. 3 verse 7. Do this so that your prayers will not be hindered. Here's the thing God's saying, husbands. If you aren't willing to listen to your wife, God isn't willing to listen to you. I think that's what Peter's saying here. In the same way that we're called to forgive others, and if we don't forgive others, Jesus won't forgive us, how can we expect God to understand and listen to our requests when we can't be bothered listening to our wives? Alienating our wives only results in us being alienated from God. So men in general, you need to be asking one another, how are you going as, as, as a boyfriend? How are you going as a husband? At understanding your wife or your girlfriend? At honoring her? How can I be praying for you in that? If you see a mate kind of act in some way that's a bit out or a bit off toward his spouse or girlfriend, it's worth pulling aside later and going, hey, dude, that was not on. It felt a bit weird. You know, how are you honoring her? How does she feel at that point? And, and saying, look, I haven't got stuff sorted. I'm, you know, I'm not married or I don't have a girlfriend or uh, I have been married for 10 years. Shut up and listen. You know, it could be any of those options that you say. But you want to be able to say, hey, this is important. You know, talk about our struggles with each other. Don't hide them away and think everything's fine here. The call of the gospel here in 1 Peter is not a call to fit in with the world around us, but to stand out. If you're here tonight and you're considering if Jesus is worth following, I hope you've seen today that His Word is good. What He wants for you is eternal. His future is eternal. And, and His example of suffering for the sake of others, submitting for another's good, is where real power is found. The question for us all is, how will we respond to the Word of God? Will we stand on our rights as insecure people, gasping for security? Go, no, I demand this happen for me. Or will we let God's Word be our security and let it shape our view of reality and submit to Jesus' view of marriage and gender roles and eternity? See, only one of these will result in a life that will not perish, but is kept in heaven for you. So let's pray we'd be captured by Jesus and His Word and that shapes the way we relate to one another. Let's pray. Father God, tonight Your Word is so countercultural to the way we often think and act. We ask that You show us where we think differently from You and You by Your Spirit would align our thoughts and actions that we might live Your way. We might let Your Word shape the way we view culture, not culture shape the way we view Your Word. Word. Father, for those of us that have, all, have had all sorts of atrocities or in the middle of all sorts of atrocities in this, would you please make your love known? Would you please 
Help us to come running to you and see the forgiveness that is there and see the hope and healing that comes in Christ. And Lord, would you help us to live out our lives, not in order to be saved, but because you've saved us in the great hope, knowing that Jesus has forgiven us. As we fail, as we stumble, put before us the picture of Jesus who died in our place, who laid down his life for the good of others. And help us to be a church that is gorgeous and beautiful in our character and seeking that which lasts forever. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.